Like the opening act to a band you always wanted to see, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And to the surprise of the crowds, John's message of their need for total life change, it struck a deep chord in their hearts, and it brought out an appropriate response, an appropriate question that they began to ask, what should we do? What should we do? In light of what we're hearing, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do before coming face to face with Jesus? Luke chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 1. In the 50th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iduria, and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be laid low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, for the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, 
and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him, on Jesus, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. We'll stop there. Three things I pray we see this morning. First, the voice. Second, the crowds. Third, the Christ. And each one has something to say. First, the voice. He's saying this, your life must change. John the Baptist was the voice. John the Baptist is introduced to us in the same way an Old Testament prophet would have been introduced in the Scriptures. There's a historical setting and context. We learn who is in power and where, uh, where all of this is happening. And by the way, behind the names that we're given, is, it, it announces who's in power. Behind their names is oppression and misery. And then there's this line that we're given. The Word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Sounds like an Old Testament prophet because he is the last of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist, he stood between the years of promise and the years of fulfillment. He was set apart for this very purpose. So John, he proclaimed what's called a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism, we could say, of total life change. And it's for the forgiveness of sins. This is deliverance from the thing every human is bound to. Sin, that disobedience against God, that breaking God's command, that, that brokenness of our own hearts and lives. And Luke quotes Isaiah the prophet, specifically chapter 40 in Isaiah verses 3 through 6, which was spoken 700 years prior of a voice that would prepare the way for who? For the Lord. Specifically in the context of Isaiah for Yahweh. For he who is, this is the personal name of God. This is preparing the way for God to come on the scene, to do something about our brokenness, to intervene. And in this beautifully poetic fashion, the prophets were poets, really. Isaiah describes a day when obstacles would be removed, and metaphorically, the proud and the arrogant would be humbled, the lowly exalted, the crooked made straight. As I read this, it kind of reminded me of the movie Inception. I don't know if you've seen that. The entire landscape just shifts and moves before our eyes so that nothing remains in the way of the Lord and so that all can get a good look at the salvation of God. It's beautiful. Isaiah speaks of a voice that would come and prepare the way for Yahweh. Now, we're introduced to John the Baptist. He's on the scene. He is the voice. And he is preparing the way for Yahweh. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make hearts ready. So because the climate of John's day was overflowing with anticipation, because the people were sick to their stomachs over the Roman rule that they were under, that oppression and tyranny, because the prophetic voice had been silent for over 450 years since Malachi, the people were ready to hear. There was this expectation. There was an eagerness to hear. It's kind of like waiting for a knock on the door of some friend that you've not seen in years. You're waiting, you're anticipating, and then you hear the knock and you run to the door. 
That's the kind of expectation that was brewing in their hearts. Well, John's message, it it broke the prophetic silence and it caused what we might call in our day a revival. A true revival broke out where huge crowds came out to see this John, this John the Baptist, to hear his message and to be baptized. This ceremonial cleansing, this renewal. How many came out because it was the popular thing to do? We don't know. But wherever there's a crowd, there's a, mixed, there's a mixture of motives for being there. But John, being the politically correct man that he was, and the ultra-sensitive guy that he was to people's feelings, uh, he begins this way, You brood of vipers! <laughs> you bunch of snakes. You bunch of snakes. He said, Who warned you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Wrath to come. What's he talking about? Well, salvation involves God bringing both divine judgment and deliverance. We like the deliverance part. But if God wasn't just, he wouldn't be trustworthy. He's a just God. He is a holy God. So when John speaks of wrath, I don't want you to think uncontrolled anger. God is not one who will demonstrate uncontrolled anger. It's deserved punishment that John the Baptist could see was on the horizon. God's wrath is coming. What are you going to do about it? Sin is disobedience. Sin, it's rooted in our desire to rule our own hearts to rule our own lives, to live for ourselves at the center. And we all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all need salvation. We all need redemption. God's wrath is not a fickle, whimsical wrath. It's it's just judgment. It's a just punishment on sin. And John preached as if he could see it coming, because he could. I mean, like a huge storm brewing on the horizon. You're like, hey, kids, get in the house. I just saw lightning. It's bigger than that. It's like the weathermen have told us that there's a hurricane coming. You better prepare for it. John understood what was coming. Do you remember the story of Israel? Where Israel was once enslaved to Egypt and was brought through the waters of the Red Sea. This mighty deliverance. And then eventually through the waters of the Jordan, where they entered the promised land. It was a great exodus. It's what the whole book of Exodus is about. This exiting out of Egypt and being brought into the land of promise. And in baptism, John was calling the nation of Israel to return to God with all their heart, with all their soul, to go back into and out of the Jordan River and to mark that return. To mark that renewal. The last prophet, Malachi, Chapter 3, verse 7 says this, You have turned aside from my statutes. Malachi is speaking for God. God is speaking through Malachi. You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. What is John doing? He's calling them to return to God. To return. You see, the spiritual and the moral compass of the day was broken. So John's message was bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That was his message. Now what does that mean? 
Show that your life is really changed. Show that this matters, that you're for real, that this is legit. Enough with the talking, get on with the living. This faith that you have, that that you claim, it requires you to live a specific way in honor and in response to the God who exists, to He who is. You can't live just however you think, putting yourself at the center. It doesn't work that way. And so he's calling them to repentance, to a total life change, a daily response of looking outside of yourself, instead uh, looking to the God who made you. And if, if the Jews and, and really uh, Israel, they, they, would, they were saying this, he says in verse 8, don't even begin to say to yourselves, oh, we have Abraham as our father. Because that's what they were leaning on. They were leaning on their cultural heritage. They were leaning on that story, but not in a way that was changing their hearts. It's almost equivalent for us to say, well, I go to church. I'm good. I check that box every week, too. Or I'm an American. What? (laughs) This is misplaced trust. He says, don't even begin to say, oh, I've got Abraham. We have Abraham as our father. That's misplaced trust. It's assuming that genuine faith is connected with our upbringing or cultural heritage or nation, and it's not. I heard one author say, the way to heaven is a single file line, meaning you will have to stand before your creator and give an answer for how you lived your life. What is your faith? Who is your faith in? Why would a holy God except a sinner like you and me. What are we leaning on? Who is our hope? What is our hope? I'll tell you right now, the only hope that I have is what we sang about. Christ, the solid rock. It's in Christ that I'm putting all my hope. It's not my rightness. It's not my goodness. It's not my role as a pastor. It's not my going to church. It's Jesus and his righteousness, his obedience. We're gonna get to that in a second. That is what it... It makes me acceptable before God the Father, this holy God. Don't even start with saying, oh, I got Abraham as my my father. He's our heritage. Don't even start by saying, oh, I go to church. And then he he, he brings it home with imagery that sticks in verse 9. Look what he says. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Wow. Okay. Entry of an axe laid to the root of a tree. If it doesn't bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. But listen, he's telling the story in such a way that that it communicates there's still more time. The axe is at the root, but there's still more time. The axe, it hasn't been swung yet. And so like the fires of Australia that are rapidly closing in, if you were around the fires and they were rapidly closing in on you and some dude comes running out of the smoke with a helmet and a mask and an oxygen tank and he says, get back, get back. You want to be like, huh? What? You sure? I don't know. No, you'd start running. You'd listen to him. You'd get back. And it produced in the hearts of those who were hearing what John was saying, it produced a cry, produced a question. 
So number two, the crowds. What were they saying? They were saying, what should we do? It was an appropriate response. What do we do? The axe is laid to the root. The crowds, these are ordinary people, most likely poor, most of them poor. You know what he tells the majority of the crowds when they ask this question? He's telling them to show generosity to one another, where there's a need to meet it. Specifically, what does he say? To the crowds, what then shall we do? He answered them uh, in verse 10, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. A tunic was a piece of clothing that was worn close to the skin, underneath the cloak. Most people of that day would have maybe one, uh, maybe two tunics. So he is, he is calling them to radical generosity. You don't have to have a lot to be generous. He's saying, walk with generosity. Walk in generosity. Where there's a need, meet it. If you see someone who's hungry, help feed him. To the tax collectors, what does he tell them to do? He's telling them basically, act honestly and justly. Don't take more than what is right. To the soldiers, what's he calling the soldiers to do? Stop victimizing. Stop intimidating. So the answers have to do with the injustices and inequalities of society. Why do you think? Because our faith is to be lived out where we live, in society, in front of a watching world. You know, these changes that he's calling each group of people to, they don't happen by chance. And it isn't just about moral transformation. John is preparing the way for the Messiah, for the Lord. And then just minutes later, we see, wait, he's preparing the way for Yahweh, but here comes Jesus. I I thought he was preparing the way for Yahweh. Yes. Yes. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. So John doesn't invite the crowd to a violent revolution. He's not interested in that. Instead, he's looking for a revolution of the heart, transformation of society that begins from within. He calls them to live and to act in a way that is consistent with what they claim they believe. Again, this is a call to repentance. And repentance isn't only about becoming a Christian, though it is required. When you repent, what do you do? You're owning up to something. You're, you're, you're turning away from that and you're, 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 you're turning your back on it. You're saying, I once lived this way, but I repent. I own up to it. Yes, I'm a sinner. Uh, I need salvation. And I, and I turn now to, to Christ, turning away from that. And so that is necessary by faith to turn away from living for yourself and look to Jesus. It's absolutely necessary to enter the kingdom of God, to be a part of the banquet, to be a follower of Jesus, however you want to say it. That is necessary. So have you done that? How do you enter this relationship with the living God? By faith, looking to Jesus, owning up to your sinfulness, and saying, I I repent. Change my life. I'm yours. That's entrance, but it's also a lifestyle of owning up to the wrong we've done. And, and, and this is important. It's not only owning up to the wrong we've done, but then doing what we know we should do by obeying God's word. Understanding that what we've come to know in Holy Scripture is actually the life we're called to now live out. It's not just a, a menu that we just say, well, I like this, but I, uh, really? That part... Now that's too hard. 
not how we're called to live. Obedience and worship. So what about you? What are you, right now, what is God putting his finger on? What area? In order to turn and face something new, you have to turn your back on what you were previously facing. What do you need to turn your back on? A lifestyle. I want to turn our attention to Colossians. Maybe give you some categories that might help you. They've helped me. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now in these, you too once walked, but when you were living in them, that you lived in it, you, you, that was what you did. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You want to ask yourself, whatever I'm doing, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus? to his glory and to his honor. What I'm watching, what I'm giving myself to online, the relationship I'm in, the type of relationship I'm in. Can I do this in the name of Jesus? Just like the filter through which you can just put everything. So that you don't have to come to me for a list and say, oh, no, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. No, just does this bring honor and glory to Jesus? What is God putting his finger on by his spirit? We see the crowds, and now finally we see the Christ. Look with me again uh, at Luke chapter 3, verse 15. And the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Well, he's not. John isn't the Christ. John's the opening act. He's not the main act. Jesus is, is the reason John is there. Jesus' baptism would be one of spirit or wind and fire. These are symbols for God's powerful presence throughout Scripture. So the baptism of John was preparatory, was preparing the way for Jesus and a baptism he would bring by his spirit. A baptism of judgment and purification. Now what's going on here? What is Jesus doing? What's he come to do? We look at verse 17 and we see the image of a farmer with a winnowing fork, this pitchfork in his hand. It's used to separate the heavier grain from the light chaff, this, the husks or the seed. And the farmer would take, take the, the, the grain and throw it in the air and the chaff would be blown away and it would be burned up. So Jesus is, is, is calling you to himself, to a life that is set apart for his glory, to a life wholly devoted to him. That's what he's calling you to. So repentance is actually urgently needed. It's the appropriate response to what we're reading today. 
And in verse 18, it tells us that John had a lot more to say and he preached the good news to them. He preached gospel to them. When is fast approaching judgment ever good news? Well, when repentance and forgiveness are available. The final judgment that we deserve, um, this, is what, this is what excites us so much. The final judgment that we deserve has been poured out on Jesus so that there is no wrath left for you and me. It sounds too good to be true. And when we start thinking that sounds too good to be true, we're starting to understand grace. The just judgment that we deserve has fallen on Jesus. And repentance, total life change, is a gift from his hand. Forgiveness of sins is the reason Jesus came. Well, John takes things too far with Herod, the Tetrarch, and he starts talking about his adulterous affair with his brother's wife. And so this guy has John locked up in prison and eventually beheaded. But not before John does what he felt completely unworthy to do, but was the reason he was born. He prepared the way for Jesus, and he baptizes Jesus. Next scene is Jesus being baptized. So here is John in the waters of the Jordan with Jesus. Here's the voice who would prepare the way for Yahweh in the waters of baptism with Jesus, who is the salvation of God himself in the flesh, the one who will save his people from their sins. And what happens? What happens? The heavens are opened. The Spirit is present. And a voice is heard. And what does the voice say? It's my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. What's going on? This is full-on affirmation. This is a stamp of approval. It's like the exclamation point at the end of a sentence. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is now empowered for the mission that he came to accomplish. Game on. And like the change of a set, John just kind of, he falls back into the background and Jesus is thrust into the front. John's mission was done, but Jesus, Jesus' mission had just begun. You know, for us, we read this, and we're left with the same question swirling around in our heads and hearts, or we should be. What should we do? We've come face to face with the divine judge, the divine deliverer of all. What do we do? What should we do? We should look to the one who did. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What should we do? We need to look to the one who does. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. What should we do? We need to look to the one who will. Jesus will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And what grows out of that what grows out of us looking to the one who does. What grows out of that is the response John the Baptist was after. Fruit in keeping with repentance. We are like trees. Where does the root go? Is, it, is your life rooted in the reality of who Jesus is and what he accomplished? Is, is, is that where it is? If so, your life will bear fruit. You will show that you belong to him by how you live your life. Sometimes we get it upside down and we want to say, I'm going to try to live my life, be good, and we try to put the fruit 
in the ground where the roots belong. And that's wrong. It doesn't work that way. Instead, with our lives rooted in the, 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 the obedience of Jesus on our behalf and his substitutionary death for our sin and him bearing the wrath that we deserve, with our lives rooted in the one who did, we then bear fruit. And, and, and our lives begin to, to grow with a desire to honor our king, to honor Jesus, to, to look into what pleases him. Luke 3 should expose indifference. It should expose that I don't really care attitude. It should expose any ways that we've been looking at the Bible like a divine menu or meal plan. It should expose misplaced trust. So there's a lot of exposure going on, and I want to be sensitive to that. The Spirit's at work. It's been my prayer, and I believe that He's at work through His Word. So where, where is it? What is it that you need to turn away from, repent of, Ask Jesus to produce in you the fruit, a life that is in keeping with repentance. John's message struck a deep chord in the hearts of those who gathered that day. Has it done so in you so that you would walk away and say, what should I do? I pray you look to the one who did for you what you cannot do for yourself, who was baptized, who fully identified with your sin, though he did not sin. He fully identified with us. He went through the waters of baptism for us. He obeyed the Father fully for us. And he eventually died on the cross for us, was raised to life. This is our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the reality of Jesus, the redemption and the salvation that we have in Jesus. Lord, help us to take the warnings of Scripture seriously. The preaching of John is just as relevant for us today as it was for the crowds that were gathered that day. We thank you for the faithfulness of John who prepared the way for for Jesus, for our Savior. Help us to walk away today more excited and thankful for the work of Jesus on our behalf than ever before and asking just this question that is so important, what should we do in response? What would you have us give up? What would you have us repent of? Because you're looking for total life change, and you'll give us the grace to walk in it. So Father, help us to do that, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.